So I'm trying this month to answer a question. And the, answer, the question is this, or really it's a statement. The theory or the moving, the practical idea, the practical theory is that if we understand how generous our Father in Heaven is, if we understand what He's given up for us and what Christ gave for us, if we begin to be crushed by that and just moved by that and stunned by His love and grace, then it would seem to me that a natural outworking of that is that our hearts would reflect His hearts. That Christian maturity is not measured in necessarily how much I know about the Bible. It's how much of the Bible is in me and how much of my heart reflects or is in beat with my Father in Heaven. And so Christian maturity is about, Paul would say, loving one another, forgiving one another. Paul would say it's about mastering things around us, the world around us, not being, as Paul says in Romans 12, being conformed to this world, uh, but being transformed by the Word of God. So our hearts are changed, our motives are changed, our, our uh, values are changed, all those things change. And so we're talking about His generosity for us and to us. And we say, well, if He's that generous to us, then it seems that if we're going to grow up and be mature Christians, then if our hearts reflect His, then generosity ought to be part of who we are. And so I asked the question, why aren't we more generous? And last weekend, what I tried to do is more theoretical, and I said, until we are crushed by His love, until we are amazed and stunned at His love for us, it's going to be very hard for us to, 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 to be generous, to be loving, to be forgiving, all those things to other people. But when we're, we go to the cross, when we go to Calvary, and we look up, up to Jesus and what He's done for us, and we realize He left the throne and came to earth for us and gave His very life for us, when we're broken by that, when we're amazed by that, when we just say, why would He do that? How could He do that? How could the God of the universe do that for me? How could he love me that much? And we begin to, when that starts to take over, you say, what do you want me to do? What do you need me to do? And, and, and essentially it comes down to that's got to be our motivation. It can't be guilt. It can't, it can't be because we, we, we have others looking over our shoulders or, or that's the Christian thing to do or our society tells us. It can only, the main, the best motivation ever is that we, we understand how loved we are and we want others to be loved like that. So if last week was theoretical, this week we're going to be like totally practical. All right? So I want to give you three ways or three principles that will help you be more generous. And I think that we live in a world that it makes it very hard for us because we're always going and we always have so many things pulling us. And I think these will help simplify. It'll, it will give us tools to cut through all of it and say, okay, this is a plan. This is my generosity plan. And we'll get to that in a minute. So number one is we need to learn the value of contentment. You see, we live in a world, and one of the strong pop culture currents of our world is the world keeps telling us, our American culture keeps telling us, and our children, I'm, I'm afraid, Young people, I think you're, you're going to be disappointed because you may not have as much as your parents. 
my parents wanted me to have more than them, and, and I want my kids to have more than me. I don't know why. It, I think it's the American thing. But we live in a world that just says to us, you need to have more. The more you have, the more content you'll be. That's what we've heard. But the Apostle Paul says something quite different. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. In other words, he's not saying contentment. He's saying it's hard to be content when you have a lot. <laughs> but he says this, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So Paul says something pretty important here. He says a few things about contentment. Number one, your circumstances don't determine your contentment. We often think, well, if my circumstances were different, I'd be more content. And, and it seems like that makes sense, but there's a lot of people around the world. As I said before, if you make twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, you are in the top five percentiles of the richest people on this planet. Not only that, you have clean water. I think most of us can go to our homes and turn the faucet, and we have plenty of water. We have good health care. If something happened to you today, you, you broke your leg or something, you could go to an emergency room and get really good medical care. This is not true for the vast majority of the world. So compared to the rest of the world, we're rich. And yet, when you go to these countries, when you go to Haiti, when you go to West Africa, when you go to South America, when you go to some of these places, these people seem a lot more content than we are. How is that possible? We have a lot more than them. Paul would say contentment isn't based upon circumstances. Secondly, prosperity and or poverty, poverty do not determine our level of contentment. You could, and this is similar to what I said before, but it's a little bit more directed. It, it, it's just this idea that we're on this kind of treadmill. We just said, if I just had a little more, if I just had a little more, if I just had a little more, and you never get there. It's like this: you get there, and then the treadmill just kind of... I said this last week, and, and it's, I think it's true. We never, there's probably nobody here that thinks you're rich. You know people who are rich, and they're probably a couple of steps or a few steps ahead of you. But even if you were there, you wouldn't think you're rich because there'd be somebody. It's just, it's the treadmill. Just, it's like the, the carrot, you know. It's, it's always that for our head, and that's just the way this life is. The, the interesting thing that Paul says, and I think this is really uh, uh, what we should focus in on for just a minute. Paul says contentment is a skill we must learn. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned how to be content with a lot or a little, with an empty stomach or a full stomach. I've learned contentment. And if you ever read about Paul's life and what he experienced and what he went through, he went through a lot. <laughs> this, is, this is not some guy that was sitting there and he... Just kind of had this easy, cozy life. No, I mean, he's being shipwrecked. He's being left bloody at the, you know, on the outside of the city, left for dead. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, you, you probably didn't want to go around with Paul for any great amount of time because you knew something bad was going to happen. And Paul says, I've learned how to be content. Now, here's what I found. Sometimes contentment is... When we were kids, and I have five brothers, we used to sit down before, you know, Christmas time and right around, like, later after Thanksgiving, we'd sit down and we'd sit on the couch with a Sears catalog. 
Now, for those of you that don't know what a catalog is, your parents will explain that to you. But we go to the toy section, and we'd flip pages, and we'd slap our hands down. The first one that slapped your hand down, that's, that was yours. Now, we never were going to get it, but it was like, that's mine. You know, I get, oh, look, I got this, I got this. And so we played this fantasy thing. And, and uh, I just think that sometimes, let's, let, let, some of us, some of you like to fish, you like to hunt, you like to restore cars, you like to golf, you like, and I'm speaking mostly of guys. Think, women, I don't know what you like to do. <laughs> but, you know, you, you say, I, I like to work on things and I need to have tools. And you can go to the, 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 the stores around town and you see that new tool and you say, I could do some damage with that thing. Yeah? I have to have it. Now, I'm only going to use it like once or twice in my lifetime. Man, once or twice I use it. It's going to be great, right? Or you're a golfer, right? Now I'm meddling, aren't I? So you go out and you have this old pair of clubs and all of a sudden you go, you know, this is fun. I like doing this. And you're playing with a guy and he's got a brand new set of Nike clubs. And you go, man, he hits that ball straight right down the middle of the fairway. I can't hit it straight to save my life. It can't be the clubs. <laughs> I mean, it can't be. It, it, it's got to be the clubs. It, it, if I had those Nike clubs, I could hit it down the middle of the fairway. So you go and you say, well, wow, these Nike clubs are pretty expensive. More than I can afford. I think, but I'd like to hit it down the middle of the fairway. I mean, I'd have to play more golf to make it worth my while. You know, all the money. You, you get my point. So now you're looking at catalogs and you're looking at clubs and boot shoes and, and bags and, and all this stuff. And again, don't get me, don't understand what I'm saying here. I'm just saying this is the culture we live in. I'm not making a moral statement about whatever you may be thinking about right now. I'm just saying this is the culture we live in. So we live in this culture that, that, that just we look at things and we say, I have to have that. Some of you, if you were honest, you would say, I made a purchase in the last year that I really believed if I got this, I would feel like, wow, I'm there. I've, this is, makes me, this makes, I, I just like it. I'm happy. I'm just, whoa. And you spent more than you wanted to spend. And you got it and you go, yeah, I guess it's okay. And you go, I shouldn't have spent that much on it. Why did I do that? That's what Paul's talking about. That's the pull of our culture. He also says this. He says, real contentment can only be found in Jesus. Now, we've been told that contentment comes with loads of money. When you're married to a supermodel, when you have a very successful career. But you know what? I showed a clip couple times over the last couple of years of Tom Brady. We could replace him with other people. And this season's kind of up and down. He had a good game this last week. But essentially he was at, had just won his second or third Super Bowl. He's married to a supermodel. He has a lot of money. He's very successful. And he basically said on 60 Minutes, I think it was, and I got all the stuff. I feel like something's missing. I'm not content. 
And I just sat there and I thought, you're missing the thing, Tom. You're missing the thing. If you had Jesus, you'd have everything. You wouldn't need a supermodel. You wouldn't need to have success in the football field. It's nice to have it. It's nice to be married to a beautiful woman. It's nice to have a lot of money, but you wouldn't need any of that stuff. You would have Jesus, and Jesus is all you need. The point is, you will never find the person, the career, the family, the success that will bring you contentment. Real contentment will only come through Jesus. I don't think we believe that. I think we believe it here. I don't think we believe it in real in the real world. I don't think some of you who are single believe that you could be happy and be single for the rest of your life because Jesus is enough. I don't believe that some of you could say, I'm never going to have a family and that's okay with me because Jesus is enough. I don't think we can believe that I don't have to have this killer career because Jesus is enough. I don't believe that most of us think that if I, I, I can live without a lot of things in my life and I can still be content because Jesus is enough. I don't think we believe that. So that's the first thing. We need to learn how to live content. Secondly, we need to, leave, we need to create margin. Many people have no margin or reserve. And margin is just extra. You have, ex, you, you have set aside extra time. You've planned for extra time. You've planned for, uh, ex, you, you, you have money saved, set aside. You have, you, you know, energy set aside. You have all of that. And you have to create margin if you're going to uh, say no to something. The only, in other words, no, what I mean is this. If you're going to have margin, you're going to have to say no. Because our problem isn't... Uh, our problem isn't capacity. We all have the same amount of time, and we say, well, I don't have any time. Well, yes, you do have time. The problem is your priorities. What's the most important thing? And when you determine the most important thing and you cut out things and say, this is a very good thing, this is a very good thing, but this isn't the most important thing, when you start cutting those out, you'll find you have all the time that you need. If you're going to create margin in your life, you're going to need to say no to something. The only real uh, way to make sound decisions uh, is to, uh, and, and sometimes, listen, we have this uh, class called Financial Peace University, and it's going on right now. It's going to be offered in the spring, and it's an opportunity for you to create margin. It shows you how to create margin in your life, uh, financial margin in your life, because some of you don't have that. Some of you are underwater financially. And if you want to get plugged into Financial Peace University, it's very simple. You can just go to the Connection Center, put your name down, and the next time that class comes up, we'll give you a call and we'll let you know about it. Let me give you five quick ways to create financial margin in your life. Very basic stuff. Practical stuff. Make a budget and follow it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I think we'd be surprised if we said, how many of you have a budget? Well, some of you, maybe a lot of you would raise your hands, and I would say, how many of you follow it? Number two, live within your harvest. You know you, only, you know you only have so much. Live within that. Number three, discern between your wants and your needs. You know, we sat there with a the catalog and said, I want this, I want this. I don't need it. I don't need it. Decrease your spending. A lot of the times we get a raise or we get a, a bonus or something. You say, okay, I got more to spend. And you say, well, why? Why do you need to spend more? Have you thought about what you're going to do with that? Resist impulses. Man, that's a hard one, isn't it? Where you just you go out and you do something, you go, man, why did I do that? That wasn't smart. 
And Jesus said this in Matthew 6.33, Seek His kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you seek His kingdom and, and, and you, you, you go after His kingdom hard and you go after Him hard, He will give you everything you need? Here's the third thing. Make your generosity routine. You know, you can have all the good intentions in the world. You can say, oh, I'm going to do something. Well, that's great. I mean, it's no surprise that a whole bunch of people on January 1st decide they're going to lose weight. And then in February 1st, they're done. (laughs) Good intentions don't get you anywhere. Some of you may have set goals, you know, in the past. Or you would you say, I want to lose 20 pounds in four weeks. Well, I don't know if that's healthy or not. Based, you know, go see your doctor. Don't. Or you say, I want to exercise more. I want to walk 15 miles a week. All right? Or I want to read my Bible five times a day or five times a week or something. Or or I want to read a book of the Bible uh, in a month or something like that. Well, how do you keep goals like this? You know, I found a powerful tool. And a powerful tool is you make it part of your routine. When you make it part of your routine, you're much more likely to make it happen. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Let's say you want to lose 20 pounds. Let's say you want to lose 20 pounds in a month. Okay? Your goal is to lose 20 pounds. Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, I think you should choose to use both check your diet and uh, start to count your calories, but also I think you ought to exercise. I think when you do both, it's both are very good. And so you figure out how can I exercise three times a week and how can I uh, begin to count my calories. iPhone app, Android app, you can, they have all that stuff. You don't need... Plan your meals, like on Sunday. Plan if you, if you find that lunchtime you eat a whole bunch of calories or at night you eat a whole bunch of calories, then say, okay, what am I going to eat instead of all of this? Come up with a plan. Come up with a plan for the week, for your meals. Come up with a plan. Make your lunches ahead. Get the food ahead. Have it ready. Have it handy. Make a plan at the beginning of the week for what you're going to do. And you'll find your week will go according to plan when you have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're just going to make decisions on the fly and you're going to be in that routine. Let's say you want to read your Bible more. And you say, boy, I'd love to read through a book of the Bible. Well, Proverbs has 31 chapters. You could read through, if you did a chapter a day, you could read through the book of Proverbs. John, The Gospel of John has 21 chapters. You could read through the Gospel of John in 21 days. Now, how would you do that? Well, you figure out where do I naturally have a time where I can Read the Bible. It may be at breakfast. It may be in the morning. It may be right before you go to bed. It may be at lunchtime. Uh, you could do it with your phone. You could have it on your phone. I would even say this. Let's, be, let's think outside the box. Let's say that you know that you have a 15 or 20 minute drive every day, either to work or back from work. Well, you know what? It's a crazy thing that they've done here. They put the Bible on audio. I mean, you can listen to it in your car. You can actually plug your iPod in or do a CD or a cassette or an 8-track. I don't think they have the (laughs) 8-tracks. If they did, it would skip between a verse because the 8-tracks always did that on songs. I can't even go there. You'll You'll have to talk to your parents about that one. But the whole point is just say, okay, I'm going to listen through the Gospel of John. You don't have to read it. Don't be a prude and say, oh, unless you read it. You know, No, if you're hearing it, that's okay. You know, 
But have a plan. Get it on your iPod or uh, Android or whatever it is and, and do it. Just say, okay, chapter one, boom, I did it. You'll, you'll be amazed at what you do if it's part of your routine. Let me give you one more. Let's say you've decided that you want to begin to tithe or give a certain amount or make a pledge. You, you, you want to financially give because you realize that everything you are and everything you have has been given to you by God. You're merely a steward and you realize that when you set aside a portion and you give it to God, you're, you're setting treasure to heaven. You're investing in His kingdom. You're helping people come into His kingdom. You're, you're doing all of that. Well, how do you do that? Well, here's, here's a, you know, I, I said last week only 23% of people, Christians, tithe, give a portion of their money on a regular basis. So if you were going to do that, how would you do it? Well, let me tell you how we do it. We do auto debit. Okay? So we sat down and we said, how much are we going to give to Hope Church this next year? And we said, this much. And so every so often, we, I get an email that says, hey, we just took money out of your account. I say, okay, that's what we plan. And, but we thought about it. We said, this is what we're going to do. This was the goal. You know what? Guess what? We're going to meet our goal. Now, we didn't have to auto-debit because my wife is like Miss Auto-Debit. She just like is very planned and organized along those lines. We didn't have to do it. Why did we do it? We did it because we said, if we're going to ask folks like you to do it, I don't want you to come up and say, are you auto-debiting? I said, yeah, we are. I don't want to ask you to do anything we're not. But the point is, we're going to meet our goals. We're going to do more than that. But you're never going to do it unless you have a plan, unless it's part of a routine. Okay? Now, in all of these examples, you're finding you're going to be more consistent because you set some goals, you have a plan, and you make it part of your routine. I have found that I am much more successful when I take a practice and I make it part of my routine. When it's part of my routine, it gets done. Now, I think that's what the Apostle Paul was saying here in 1 Corinthians 16. We'll close with that. He says, Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. In other words, Paul is saying, take a little bit aside each time on a regular basis. Have a plan so that when I come, it's just done. Don't wait to the last minute. Don't do it on a spur of the moment. Have a plan. And then he says, when I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you chose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And he says, and then your messengers will take your gift to the saints in Jerusalem and you will be a blessing to them because you had a plan and you had a pattern and you followed that and they were blessed. Now let me just close with one thought. Our Father in Heaven had a plan for our salvation. It began in Genesis 3. It began before that, but he says to the woman, He will bruise the heel of your child, but your child will strike the death blow. 
And from Genesis 3, and you read through the prophets about a Messiah that would come, and Jesus came, and he was the fulfillment. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God had a plan, and that plan carried out little by little by little until Jesus uttered the words, It is finished. And until Jesus rose from the dead, and we are saved because of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. But it all was way back in Genesis because God had a plan. And God carried his plan out from the beginning. And we have yet to see the fruition. Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So if we're going to be generous, it's not going to come because we decide today, I'm going to be generous. You have to have a plan. You're going to have to come to a place where you say, I can do without that. I can make some margin. I can be content with what I have. Because I know that as I bless other people, my maturity, I'm becoming more like my Father in heaven. And that's really what it's all about. So I don't know what God is going to say to you or what he said to you through all of what I've shared, but I pray that he would speak to your heart in a very powerful way, that some of these desires that you have to be like your Father would become part of your behavior. So good intentions will take, take on some flesh and you'll look back and you say, wow, look at what we were able to do because we had a plan and we built it into our, our pattern of life. And God was blessed and people were blessed. And generosity is growing in me. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, help us to do this because uh, without your help we can't. We can do this for all the wrong reasons too. Uh, help us to do it because we are just broken. We are crushed by your love. We are overwhelmed because we want to see other people be blessed, because we understand that we're merely shareholders. We're merely stewards of yours. Father, help us to not just be hearers of the Word, as James says, but to be doers that our lives will be characterized by generosity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.